Uh, let me just pray before I start. Jesus, thank you that we get together here today as two churches. Thank you that we get together united under you. Lord, I just pray that you'd settle our hearts and open our ears to hear what you're saying to us. I pray that um, you'd be speaking through me, that anything of, that's me but not of you would just fall away. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Sorry, I just realized I don't know the passage that I'm quoting. It's one of the Gospels. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the next day, they're leaving Beth- Bethany. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he goes to find out if it has any fruit. When he reaches it, he finds nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he says to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, enters the temple courts and begins driving out those who are buying and selling there. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and doesn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he says, Isn't it written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. If peace was a product that you were trying to bottle up and sell, if it was a product that you were looking for a poster model for, a spokesman for, a person to sell the brand, would you pick Jesus to be the front of the product? Would you have him do the interviews and the Instagram live streams? I think it would be far more on-brand if Jesus' interactions with the tree and the temple courts went a bit more like this. The next day, they're leaving Bethany. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, wants to have a low-calorie snack. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he goes out to find if it has any fruit. When he reaches it, he finds nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he says to the tree, oopsie-daisies, silly me, forgetting figs aren't ripe in this season. Blessings upon you, little tree. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, enters the temple courts and begins gently reprimanding those who are buying and selling there whilst deeply empathising with them, as many of them had unresolved trauma. He actively listens at the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and doesn't allow anyone to do anything crazy like overturn tables or drive people out through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he says, isn't it written, give peace a chance. (laughs) That's the Georgina remix. (laughs) But that would surely be more marketable, more palatable, more on brand for the Prince of Peace. But it isn't what's recorded in the scriptures. I can't help but wonder if in our Western 21st century Protestant Christianity, we've mistakenly replaced peace with calm, with conflict avoidant, even with dull and boring. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Christmas carols. I love the imagery and the magic of how we present the nativity. But it's not always accurate. 
think of how the beautiful carol Silent Night begins. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I don't know about you, but to me, these lyrics evoke this scene of Mary dressed in lapis lazuli blue, looking perfect despite having just given birth, staring lovingly at the adorable sleeping Jesus who's completely clean from whatever fluid babies have on them, whilst a bunch of shepherds and animals look serenely at him as the wise men cradle their gifts. Imagine describing that scene to someone who has like never heard anything or seen anything related to the nativity story. Like strip the story to its bare bones. There's a teenage mum who has to flee her country. She gives birth in a stable. There's a bunch of farm animals around and then some random academic men and teenage boys turn up. <laughs> Sounds very upsetting. <laughs> It really doesn't sound like the kind of birth the Prince of Peace should have. It sounds like chaos, disorder, kind of traumatic. But I guess that depends on what kind of peace we're looking for. Are we looking for the sort of peace that's really just calm, conflict avoidant, absence of strong emotions? Let's turn to Isaiah 9, 2, 6 to 7. Now, this prophecy is written around 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It's a prophecy that worked for Isaiah's time and context, but it also stands as a prophecy for Jesus' birth and kingdom. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a, child has, has, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I was watching the Bible Project's video on peace. They make the point that peace in the Old Testament Hebrew is shalom, which is to make whole. That's a very different idea from the idea of peace that we're often sold. Let me quote. The prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. End quote. If we understand peace as wholeness, as the process of healing the broken and rendering it whole, I think we can understand Jesus' role as the Prince of Peace a little more. Jesus didn't enter the world to be nice, to be conflict avoidant, and to bless fig trees. He came to restore, to bring shalom, to mend that which was broken and restore it to whole, even if it meant disrupting the status quo and exposing sin and brokenness. As many of you know, Andrew broke his ankle. 
The break itself took a matter of seconds, but the process of healing it has taken and will continue to take months. Breaking it seemed to be the easy part of the process. Healing it has meant surgery and crutches and being in a lot of pain and tears, and that's just from me. (laughs) But the process of him mending his body, of his ankle being restored or made whole, is painful. Ask anyone who's done any kind of therapy. The process of making whole, of bringing shalom, often doesn't look like the peace that doesn't look like peace as the world understands it. Perhaps that's why, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God." Anyone who attempts to heal brokenness, to restore situations or relationships, needs a whole lot of blessing. Consider that Jesus' own peacemaking between God and humanity led him to the cross. As we're learning about over these last couple of weeks, we're learning about how joy often comes through trial, how hope isn't wishful thinking. We're learning that these virtues or fruits of the Spirit aren't just warm, fuzzy words that belong on Hallmark cards. They're hard won. Luke 2, 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. In the New Living Translation, it's peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. In Eugene Peterson's message, it's peace to all men and women on earth who please him. So who's God pleased with? Who gets to have peace? I like the way Diane Chen answers this. She says, in the end... God's initiative meets human response to actualize eternal peace between both parties. Because God's initiative always comes first, human responsiveness presupposes divine favor. Therefore, 2.14b is better rendered as peace on earth among the people whom God has favored. God's peace, God's shalom, is available to all humanity through the birth of Jesus. We're all invited into relationship with the Prince of Peace. Like joy and hope, the world doesn't often seem to be a place of peace, of shalom. We see this internationally with wars and access to medical supplies. We see this in churches 
We see this in our own lives and relationships. Yet, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Whilst we don't experience the fullness of peace in the world around us, we experience peace through Jesus and know that there will be peace on earth when Jesus returns. Until then, it's our job to live as the peacemakers and in Jesus' peace. It's our job to live not as broken people, although we all carry the remains of brokenness, but as people redeemed by Jesus, people who have been made whole. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. On this verse, Miroslav Volf and Matthew Crosman write, The close context suggests that the meaning of peace here is precisely about flourishing circumstances, particularly right relationships. Indeed, at the heart of Paul's vision of life going well is a set of peaceful relationships with God and on the foundation of relationship with God, with other people and the created world. Wolf and Crosman continue to discuss how all three of these relationships are marked by sin, are impacted by our brokenness, yet our restored relationship with Jesus, so through Jesus, with God, remedies our relationships with others and the created world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The festive season is supposed to be festive, isn't it? We get together with friends and family, we give and receive gifts, we feast on delicious food, all good and lovely ways of celebrating Jesus' birth. But of course, it's not always just good. Often Christmas is a time of sadness and brokenness. We feel the pull of finances as we try to make budget whilst buying food and gifts. We feel the loss of friends and family who we can't be around to celebrate with. We feel the pain of our lives maybe not being what we would like them to be in contrast with those around us. We even have to navigate broken relationships, being, re- being with relatives we might wish, wish we weren't related to, sharing custody of children children with estranged spouses. Yet in all this, we're peacemakers. And that's just with people. Christmas is a notoriously bad time for our created world. We consume so much. Some of that's good and appropriate. We want to be festive. We want to be generous. But some of which borders on excess and greed. Yet we're the peacemakers. In his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sand gives four principles for biblical peacemaking. Glorify God. How can I please and honour the Lord in this situation? 
get the log out of your eye? How can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution in this conflict? Gently restore. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to the conflict? Go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict? Now, this is in the context of conflict resolution. But I think it's a helpful checklist for us in our attitude, in our stance as peacemakers. Whilst we might not be able to make peace or make shalom with companies that brutally exploit workers and the environment, we can posture ourselves towards them in a way that glorifies God, where we take responsibility for our actions. Maybe that's by boycotting certain brands. Whilst we might not be able to make peace in some relationships, we might be able to demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution by setting up boundaries and beginning the process of forgiveness in our own hearts. Those relationships might never be fully reconciled, but we've entered into a posture of peace. Wolf and Krosman write, Peace is not always promised us in the present. If it possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully, peaceably with all, Romans 12.8. The true life is not always a life at peace but is always a life lived for the sake of peace. I think what Wolf and Crowsman articulated here is what we see in Jesus' life. Cursing fig trees, overturning tables, dying on a cross. These aren't events that we would use to describe a peaceful life, at least not peaceful in the way that the world understands it. Yet Jesus was living for the sake of shalom, for the sake of peace, as God views it. His actions and his approach to life was for the sake of wholeness, for the sake of shalom. He wasn't trying to keep the peace. He wasn't trying to keep the status quo of brokenness and sin. He was overturning it. He was restoring brokenness to wholeness, a process that, is not peaceful in itself, but is for the sake of peace, for the sake of shalom. Our lives, our relationships, our world isn't calm, conflict avoidant, or absent of strong emotion. Rather, our lives are chaotic, disordered, traumatic, as we live for the sake of peace, the kind of peace that Jesus lived for, shalom, restoration of brokenness to wholeness, a peace that doesn't always feel peaceful or look peaceful as the world might understand it. Rather, it's a commitment to wholeness in a broken world. Church, as we live our lives, as we enter a season of joy, but also trial, may we live for the sake of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are you when you live for the sake of peace. 
children of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we bring our lives, our relationships, our church and our world to you. Lord, we acknowledge that there's brokenness and there's pain and there's trial. But we thank you that you're the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Restoration. Lord, as we navigate our lives, as we navigate what it is to be peacemakers, to be shalom makers, guide us. Show us how to do so as you would do so. We thank you that we can always call upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.